You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. So whether the market is doing gangbusters or looking more like a dumpster fire, a good, well-rounded stock portfolio is necessary for any investor. Robinhood is a platform that aims to democratize finance for everybody. Robinhood believes everyone should have access to financial markets, so what they did was they built their system from the ground up to make investing friendly, approachable, and understandable for newcomers and experts alike. What I love about Robinhood is that you don't need an account minimum to start. There are zero fees for trading, and you can even purchase cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. Join today by tapping the link in the show notes to get a free stock. It's just like that. I mean, it's just free, just for signing up. And this free stock can be anything from Sirius XM to Apple or any of the other thousands of other publicly traded companies just like that. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. So go get your free stock today by checking out that Robinhood link in the show notes today. Whether you're looking for a comedic retelling of the history of the modern libertarian movement or a dark comedy about the seedy world of American politics, my books, Stay Away from the Libertarians, as well as How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship, have been entertaining thousands of readers throughout the world since 2018. Whether you're looking for the next great book on your reading list or considering a funny and captivating book for the politico or history nut in your life, you can grab a copy of either Stay Away from the Libertarians or How to Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship today on either Amazon or Barnes & Noble Online. Amazon links for the print and ebook editions of both books are available in the show notes. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. I've never heard that lady talk before. It's it's creepy as hell. It's, creepy setting. it's angry Siri. I have no clue if the voice has like an actual name. Like, uh, what, what's it for Android? What is it? Oh, Katana, Cortana. Siri, Siri and Alexa are the only ones I know. It's... It's at the point where everything is going to come with a name and then they're going to start talking back at you. Like, did you remember to check your audio settings? It's uh, it's a brave new world. But Mark, it's it's great to have you on the program. What we've been talking about recently are, are ways to achieve actual individual freedom. And it's not through things like voting. It's not through trying to work the system to game the system. It's really about taking accountability of what you control in your own life. How self-sufficient are you? Are you good financially? Are you good in terms of your ability to make choices for yourself? And the one thing that a lot of people really don't understand is that, yes, we have a fiat money system. Uh, Our money supply is rigged by central banks and the dollar is not what it used to be. But when you really consider how the U.S. dollar stands in the world, we're still on top. We're still what people want at the end of the day. And for a lot of uh, more wealthy people, they typically tend to move quite often. And that usually seems to be a you know, this idea that gets stuck in people's heads that you have to be like John McAfee rich to move to a third world country or something and then just completely take over. But the thing is, you know, like everyday middle class people making an honest means, especially if you could telework and things like that, you can free yourself 
of financial restraints, of civil restraints, by just going somewhere else. And I mean, you've been in Mexico since I think around when the pandemic started, right? It was a little bit afterwards. I waited until I got an official uh, furlough from my job. And then at that point, I said, all right, well, there's nothing. If I'm not going to get called to work tomorrow, uh, there's nothing for me to do here, really. Because uh, I couldn't even hang out with my friends, uh, in theory. You know, some of my friends were kind of, you know, so some of my friends are more, were more COVID afraid than others. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but, you know, at that point, they had shut down. They're starting to open some of these things back up. But now, I've, from what I hear, they're starting to open the beaches and the trails. But when I couldn't even enjoy the beaches and the trails, like one of the main reasons to live in L.A., uh, I couldn't even enjoy restaurants and bars. One of the other main reasons to live in LA and my industry was, was shut down. The third reason to live in LA, there's really no reason for me to be there anymore. So I, I mean, I still have an apartment there. I, I haven't fully expatted myself, but I've, I'm dipping my toe in the water temporarily. And I don't know how long temporarily is going to be exactly. Yeah. And I think what you're doing right now is really going to gauge whether or not this is something you want to see yourself doing. Um, I, I lived overseas a lot as an army brat. I lived in mm-hmm. Australia and I've been able to travel. I, I'm, I'm, from a, I'm from a town in Arizona called Sierra Vista. So you could just walk right into Mexico and no right, one right. would care. This is before the cartels got all crazy, but that's a whole other thing. And, uh, you, you know, I've always had this idea that if I can find an opportunity to save a good chunk of cash just on hand so that way I could just pick it up and go and quickly make it liquid and leverage it how I can. And if I can work in a way so that way I can be anywhere in the world, have my earned income and continue to create additional streams that way, why stay in the United States? Because there's really, I mean, I could, I've been thinking about moving to states like Texas or Florida where they have no income tax, where property is cheap, um, where I'm living right now outside of DC. It's, it's, it's at the point where, you know, like 20, 30 years ago, uh, an income of around 45 to $50,000 could get you a house around here. And now it's at the point where you're poor. And I'm looking at this like, wow, my, my local taxes are going up. The price of living is going up. I can't live here. So I've been in a position recently where because of this whole pandemic, uh, my job is turning into a completely teleworkable situation from now on. So now I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can finally leave if I want to. Um, what were, you know, what were some of the things that drew you to Mexico? I know that, um, you know, you, you've been to Mexico before, so you liked the idea of going there, but what are some of the things that as someone that's actually living there day to day for the foreseeable future, you, you've kind of experienced? Yeah, well, for me, choosing Mexico was fairly easy because my girlfriend uh, is from here and has family here. And uh, specifically, the the town that we're in, uh, she literally four houses down the street is a, a house owned by her family where she has relatives living. So that that made the decision of sort of like the where to go pretty easy. Bingo. Yeah. Um, so I, I might have had an advantage in that sense of not having to like search really hard. It just kind of went where it made sense to go. Uh, but like I said, I, it, once LA became not LA, I, I started to think about, all right, well, let's at least go here um, for some amount of time, you know, just because this is already something I was sort of, I don't know, preparing myself for, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, just, you know, I could see the way my industry and every industry is going just to going less away, more away from in-studio work, from on-site work to remote work. And um, as that's shaping, you know, I I could foresee a time um, when my job might not exist, at least in the form it existed in. And I wanted to sort of eventually get myself into a place where I could be more mobile and where I could start, um, you know, working more online, um, you know, branching out from the podcast, doing some other services that I'm starting to do now here, um, offering like podcast hosting, hosting coaching for people that are just getting started podcasts and trying to like teach themselves how to actually be a host and conduct interviews and working a lot on a lot of personal projects that I had put to the side before. So um, for that, it just made a lot of sense for me to be somewhere for essentially um, the same price because I'm getting a little bit of a discount. I do still have my Los Angeles uh, up my Los Angeles place because it's a really good deal for the place and I don't want to give it up unless I I know I'm really not going back. So I worked out a little bit of a deal to pay a little bit less there on that. And uh, that savings is is essentially paying for me to have a giant house with a pool every month here in Mexico. So I'm basically have leveled out before I just on rent alone. And from that point, it's just so much cheaper to live here for multiple reasons. I mean, you talked about the US dollar uh, doing well. Well, it's doing pretty damn well next to the peso lately. So my dollar is going further than it even used to go like in the last year or two when I would just be visiting here. Um, so the dollar's going further and everything is just so much cheaper, especially here. I mean, it's cheaper. It's cheap in Mexico City. But we're actually about an hour outside of Mexico City right now. Um, it's a, a much smaller community. So things are even cheaper here than they would be there. Um, and on top of that, 
you know, everything we're buying for the most part is like local food. There's a supermarket we go to as well, but we buy a lot of like locally grown vegetables and, and fruit, um, like locally butchered meat. So we have no issues with uh, supply chains. A lot of th- things people are experiencing in the U.S. where they go to the stores and have empty shelves. It's not even a, a question for us. We and, and oh, it's so, man, so it's- much cheaper. I, I did not think it was going to be as serious as it's become. And as we're recording this, it's uh, May 29th. Um, most of the stores are actually starting to limit the amount of beef and chicken you can purchase. I know for a lot of the fast food chains around here, I have a friend that's a manager at a Wendy's. And what they've had to do is they've had to stop selling all their doubles. So if it has more than one burger patty on there, you cannot order it. So the fact that we're seeing this in that's a very... Insane. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like when you imagine the like the apocalypse and things, you imagine it all kind of happening at happening at once. But the moment they had to start putting up paper over the parts of the menu and they said cannot provide due to COVID nineteen, I looked at that and I'm like, oh my god, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah, when we start losing our double double patties, that's uh, that's a problem for sure. First world uh, yeah, problems. <laughs> everything here, like everything we're buying here, is like from the local people selling it. So there's no supply chain to be interrupted. The supply chain are is the local community just going directly to uh, farmers and butchers, which in, in in many cases is illegal in most parts of the United States. You have to go through these other bigger distributors and bigger suppliers and eventually get them through a grocery store. So um, you know, I'm not going to call Mexico a freer country, but uh, in some ways, and this is one of the ways, it is a little bit freer in that sense. There's no no, no restrictions for just buying uh, buying food or, or anything from your neighbors and that, and that sort of thing. And yeah. to the extent there are any restrictions on the book, they're completely unenforced. So that's an important aspect too. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to consider when you're moving to some of these places because just because you can get a lot of, uh, you know, financial leverage out of moving there and having a good cash supply. Uh, I mean, and you do get trade-offs. Some countries are a bit worse when it comes to civil liberties. Some countries just have really weird ways of doing things. I know that one of the things about Mexico that I I always liked growing up, and I I grew up there mainly in the 90s before I started moving around, uh, people don't really remember this much if they were from around the area, but we didn't have really a wall. Uh, We didn't have uh, ICE or immigration checkpoints with border patrol all over the place, inland into Arizona. And at least for my mom's uh, childhood, she grew up in the same town that I'm from. Uh, Her parents used to go with all the other local moms and dads who were government employees for Fort Huachuca, and they would just driving to Mexico. They go there, they shop, they eat, they come back. And then what Mexicans would do is they would come in, they'd work for the day, and then they'd go home. There was never this idea of, oh, people just want to come here and really take advantage of the welfare state. That's actually more so of a recent phenomenon that's not even necessarily true. And this is from coming from a person that believes in, you know, strong borders, that type of thing. But, you know, for most of my life, I remember it being peaceful. It was safe. And that's something I can't really say for a lot of places. And while Mexico does have its problems, like I got, I got a black market haircut in my garage the other day. Nice. Like, you know, the guy, uh, I'm, I'm not going to give out too many details, but <laughs> if let's say somebody called the cops and they found him, both him and I would be charged a civil penalty, but he could possibly lose his license to cut hair. In Mexico, they don't have a lot of those licenses. If you want to work, you just work. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot... Uh, more i wouldn't say a sense of freedom like it's not something that's even talked about it's just something you see you know you see it in the open markets and and people just deciding whether they want to open their business or not uh, there's a lot of like little roadside stands i've been noticing that are just um sort of just bars that were set up on the fly that they're all offering just to go drinks and there's even some restaurants i mean we've even eaten at a couple of local restaurants here um <clears throat> one example of things not really being enforced um one thing that different parts of Mexico do in times of crisis or when they expect people might be upset or might protest, they will ban or limit the sale of alcohol. And the state of Mexico that we're in, and we're actually in uh, Morelos right now, uh, is one of those states that has uh, made a proclamation banning the sale of alcohol. However, if you go, um, not not this town, this town pretty much sticks, sticks by the rules, but if you go to a town right next to us, there are stores that do sell alcohol. And one of the stores you go to, it's only an, an alcohol store, right? So there's nothing else they even sell there. Maybe they have napkins or something. I don't know. But there's a sign on the front door that says, uh, it basically says, tra- translated, it basically says like, don't, don't ask us 
about the sale of alcohol. They're basically like, no, uh, we're, don't, don't talk about selling alcohol. And then you walk in and there's a store full of alcohol and you go buy your alcohol. So, I mean, that's just one example of, yes, there are certain laws on the books. And if you look at all the laws one by one, you could definitely, not, I would definitely not say like Mexico doesn't seem like a free country. But if you actually look at how the reality of the situation and how certain things are enforced, in many ways, there is more of a free market uh, in, in that sense. It's it's crazy to think of that now. And when, there's no there's no neighbors tattling on them for for selling booze either. By the way, I think that's an important aspect. Is the societal aspect that would never happen yeah. here. That's not something that people don't rat on their neighbors for breaking laws here or for breaking rules or for not wearing masks or for not socially distancing. That is just one thing that's just a, re, a hugely refreshing change from being in Los Angeles. Even just seeing certain people I know on social media talking about this stuff and seeing a so totally different attitude here. And it's not like there's lack of concern here. People people wear masks. People take certain measures, um, but they do it voluntarily for the most part and they don't judge other people who don't do it man this this whole situation like i can totally tell which of my neighbors would dob out Anne frank <laughs> yeah no, like it's it's, it's and not they think even that they funny. wouldn't but they don't understand that they in that time the popular thing and the commonly accepted thing to do would be to turn her in so they would do it because that is they're going along with whatever they're told so they probably would then too yeah i mean it's um it's one of those things where when at the beginning of this, everyone just kind of stayed in. And what you had a lot of people do is they, they all drove down to North Carolina. They were like, I'm going to wait it out in my doomsday beach house or something. Right. And then for a lot of the neighbors around here, you know, we saw a lot more people walking around, going on runs and stuff. But then there was the whole divide over the mask situation. And there were a few instances where people were called um, I mean, people called the cops because of either social distancing violations or because of noise violations. And it was almost always because somebody was having a party in their backyard. Right. And I mean, my, my neighbors look at each other a lot more different now than ever. One of the first things that my father and I did was we took all of our guns into our backyard where all of our neighbors can just look down and see us. And we started cleaning them. Not because we didn't have uh, space in the garage to do that, but we also did as kind of a show of force. Like, listen, if you're going to start raiding people for toilet paper, you don't fuck with this house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that's great about here. I have no problems getting toilet paper. There is not a, a, a single store I've gone into that didn't have a fully stocked shelf of toilet paper and paper products. Seriously? Yeah, and I'm, in the, I'm the one of the third world country here, and I'm just awash in toilet paper. <laughs> It's it's so freaking weird. I should start sending it back to the United States at a on a, on a at you joke you joke about price. that, but that's something that people are actually doing. Maybe I should because I I can I can go buy a, a whole bunch of toilet paper right now. You and I are going to be talking after this. There's a good reason why I started buying Bitcoin again, but um. You know, right now, uh, you're, you're probably going to end up going back to Los Angeles at some point. At some point, yes, I have yeah. to. I have stuff there. Has this experience kind of made you rethink about things long term? Have you ever thought of moving to a, I won't say developing nations, because there are a lot of really nice developed countries that, you know, compared to the United States, we would consider developing. But have you ever considered moving to, a, to another place just really to kind of leverage your financial power that you have by being an American and being able to eventually have a job where you can continue to earn money, but have drastically lower living expenses. Sure thing. I mean, when I, I first traveled extensively uh, backpacking through Central America and back in 2010, and that was the first time I really got the taste for not just traveling, but like becoming immersed in, in other cultures. I mean, even if we were only spending maybe a couple of weeks in any one spot, even in those couple of weeks, you start to feel like you're becoming part of the community a little bit. You're making friends. People start recognizing you at the store. Um, so that idea has been in my mind, especially when, you know, for a long time uh, in my early 20s, that I want to give this lesson to people out here because it took me until later in life to really travel more. I always thought traveling was just something you had to be really rich, rich to do. Like you kind of mentioned, like you had to have John McAfee money to go somewhere. I had this idea in my mind for a long time that I just, oh, I can't afford to travel. I don't make enough money. I'm not saving enough money. And then I, once I finally like sat down, did my research and talked to some people, I realized, no, you can actually travel cheaply. And like, I mean, I'd say the six weeks I traveled in, in Central America, I probably spent less money than if I had just stayed in Los Angeles those six weeks and spent my regular money on food and, and gas and you know whatever else I would spend money on. So you can really, again, travel very affordably. Uh, and that's when I first started to like 
my mind just started to churn a little bit about how I could sort of, you know, eventually either live somewhere else part-time or maybe even full-time eventually, uh, you know, living in a different place, either a cheaper place or just a place where I like the weather more, what have you. So it's been an idea that's been in my mind for a long time. And like I said, I've been preparing for changes in my industry, changes in all industries for a while. So I'd already been, I already had a little bit of like a year to one to two year plan to sort of see if something like this might work, maybe perhaps uh, work my way back into becoming a freelancer for my full-time job. Now I, my, I've, that decision has at least been temporarily made for me because now my full-time work and my freelance work are both gone uh, for the most part, at least the, the work I did before, which is mostly in live events and, and sports and that sort of thing, all of which is completely shut down now. Uh, but I was already kind of just preparing myself mentally and coming up with a plan to sort of dip my toe in the water. Uh, the COVID crisis and the lockdown just basically accelerated my plan to, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to do this now because what is my other option? I can sit in LA and work on things, but I may as well be somewhere cheaper and nicer, uh, you know, where I, I know some people here locally and, you know, I'm, I'm not just in a random, totally random place by myself. I have that advantage that, uh, you know, I'm here and my, my girlfriend's family's here and we have, you know, people that we know on the ground. So it's not, it's not like complete immersion. It's not, I mean, it is, it is complete immersion, but it's not like I'm completely being plucked into a place where I just have no idea what's going on. Like I can speak a little bit of Spanish. I can navigate the culture relatively well. Uh, it might be a, a more difficult decision if I was just, you know, going to be plopped into the middle of like Nigeria or something or some place where I just don't know anything. Um, so that's an advantage too. But I think it's something, it's, it's always going to be up to the individual about what kind of steps you take in life. But I, I think the important thing I like to emphasize is that these options are available to you and they're a lot more available to you than you might realize. It's, it's not really that hard to at least just pick up and, and dip your toe in the water. Now, I don't know, maybe some people have a situation where they have, uh, they have a house, they have a mortgage, they have their family, everything is... Sp- you know, based in the same place in the U.S. And, you know, maybe for them, that's not even something they want to consider. But you can still take a couple weeks vacation somewhere at some point and, and test the place out and just see how you feel immersing yourself in a different community for a couple of months or a couple of weeks even. And maybe realizing, wow, I can spend so much less money here. And maybe if you, because if, so many more jobs, even jobs we might not have thought of now are going to become remote, especially, you know, in the next three to five years, but even at a more accelerated pace now, thanks to the lockdowns and everything. I mean, even if, even if coronavirus disappears tomorrow, the fact that companies now realize at a moment moment's notice, the government can just tell you, you can't have your employees there. Most companies are going to really try to incorporate as much remote work as possible. Something that was going to happen naturally, but now that is that natural acceleration is becoming very um, supernatural, you might say, Um, um, you know, accelerated by the government policy. So I think either way, this is a world, you know, you can only do so much to, to change the world. We can talk about how we think things should be. I should, I can speak out against lockdowns, but the world is going to keep happening around me, no matter how much I complain about it. So the only thing I can control is what I do with my own life, how I develop my own skills. Uh, where I bring myself physically, and for now, this was uh, this is the place that was calling to me for for a number of reasons. So I'm definitely um, I don't wish for a world of coronavirus, but in some ways, I'm grateful because it, it forced me into a situation that you know I had a plan to maybe try this out. But you know, you can ha- you can have a plan, and that plan can kind of stay there for a while sometimes, especially if you're comfortable. If I'm still making my full salary, which is a pretty good salary in Los Angeles, if I still have all of that going on, it, it would be a lot harder decision to actually decide to cut myself off from that. Uh, whereas when the decision is made for me, at least temporarily, you know, I could get a call back any day to, uh, to be unfurloughed, but for now I'm on furlough. I'm not being paid. So I, I have the freedom sort of in a sense. I, I, I guess I theoretically always had the freedom to quit my job, but I didn't want to quit my job. Uh, so now it's uh, it's quit itself for me temporarily. And that's given me this opportunity to try something I already wanted to try. So it's actually, I mean, in some ways, the best thing that could happen to me because it kind of forced me out of my, my zone. I don't wish this upon the world. I don't even wish it upon myself. But uh, I mean, I, I certainly want the option of returning to a normal feeling Los Angeles. But I don't think that is going to come anytime soon, even if I do get, get uh, called back to work. I, I was talking to my brother about this whole thing, like what, what the new normal is going to look like. And I hate that term because I want to go back me to too. the old normal. I, I really think that's going to be more of like a mental process. I want to go back to the old, old normal before 9-11. And I'm sure there's older people that maybe want to go back to some old normal even before that. <laughs> hey, I, I tell people I like the 90s and they're like, really? The Clinton there? I'm like, no, man, I'm talking about the 1790s. We don't have to pay taxes <laughs> on shit. Right. But um, I mean, we were talking about what this is going to look like. And, you know, me and him were both movie theater nerds that's where we spend almost all of our extra income if we can go have a movie theater experience we're gonna do it but while he's willing to go jump for the first showing of anything at this point i don't know if i really want to be around other people now i've been probably one of the more anti-mask voices um on you know my sphere of twitter but 
I, I don't think I'm ready to really be near people. One, because I like the idea of, wow, I've been able to save a lot of money. Yeah. Two, what this showed is that other people are just filthy. When, yeah. when Trump was like, all you need to do is wash your hands, the amount of people that were adverse to that, it, it kind of shocked the shit out of me. But I mean, this whole experience has really changed me. I'm, I'm happy that I get to now work wherever I want. I mean, this is something that I thought I would have to spend decades to achieve. But luckily, right. um, you know, within my sphere of, you know, expertise and social media, I can do my job anywhere. What I'm looking forward to doing isn't being just trapped at home all day, but I want to be able to go back to Starbucks and work from there for a few days. I want to be able to go to a park and enjoy nice weather. I want to be, I want to be able to work from home, but really I want to be able to work from anywhere. And this this whole thing has really showed me that like what what if this what what if things got worse what if I could never travel what if I really had to stay here that's one of the things I want to do and I know a lot of people are talking about it but I I've already got enough miles saved through Southwest I don't care where I go I'm taking the first flight to anywhere and uh, I, I want to actually you know take a few steps back you talked about your experience backpacking through South America I I never knew that that's one of the things I've actually always wanted to do just really you know have like you're a, still younger than when I decided to do it. So you definitely have plenty of time. Yeah. I don't speak Spanish, which is one thing that oh, might go pathetic. against me. I'm a, you're, I'm, you're a Martinez and you don't speak Spanish. I, I'm, I'm a mainland Rican. We rarely <laughs> speak Spanish and I'm a bad Puerto Rican if that, because when you're Puerto Rican, you're born and they're supposed to give you like one of those little uh, rear view mirror flags. I don't have a flag. I was never issued one. So I don't think I'm a documented <laughs> Puerto Rican. But, uh, you know, one thing that I've been telling people is, you know, there's a giant world out there. You, you need to go ahead and experience it in one way or another. And I was really lucky that, you know, growing up, I got to travel often. I mean, the last time I left the United States was 2018 when I went to go to Iceland. At that point, it had been eight years since I traveled anywhere. And getting to go there, a place that's completely alien from anything I'd ever seen before, it, it was really a good I, I think it for me, it was a spiritual experience. It really reminded me seeing such beautiful things and meeting completely different people, how small I am in the world. And that made a lot of my stresses, my challenges, my problems at the time. It really, it, it was really what a vacation was meant to be, a time to relax, decompress, and really reevaluate where, where I am and where I want to go. What was your experience like backpacking? Yeah, that was uh, the biggest part of it for me was just the, I mean, you, yeah, you know, I took some pictures, but I'm actually not that much of a picture person. Like, if I'm, I, I want to take pictures of people, people I'm hanging out with, not so much the sites, because I can look up the sites in National Geographic. You know, like there's yeah. already people out there that have made nicer pictures of just sites. Uh, but that's kind of a correlation to what I get out of out of traveling overall. Is at the end of the day, I, no matter what kind of sites I see or you know, historical landmarks or what have you, what I really get out of traveling is the people you meet and, and just like becoming a contact, in contact with people of so many different cultures. I mean, when I backpacked, we, uh, we ended up meeting people from just the local people, of course, like people that lived in Guatemala or Honduras or Nicaragua or what have you, uh, but also other fellow travelers. So we were hanging out with people from Israel, Australia, uh, different European countries, Nordic countries, uh, all the people from all over the world, as well as the local people. And we're all just, we all end up on nights out together with like 20 of us from all over the world just like going out dancing have a great time getting into late night conversations till you know four or five in the morning about whatever and you learn the main thing you learn is that people are so much alike you know you might think you're so much different than all these cultures around the world but when you actually get together as people sure you have like different little quirks and differences but when you actually get down to like hanging out and having a good time we're all so much alike it's like ridiculous and it really puts things into perspective uh it really makes you realize like the idea of, and I'm not making really a political statement, more just a philosophical statement, like the idea of like countries and that sort of thing is, it's kind of silly. It's, it's silly that we look people, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't have them or maybe I am, but, but um, that's not what I'm trying to say though. It's, it's just the idea that people are different because they happen to live inside a different border or their government happens to be drastically different than ours. It's really not true. I mean, most people are very, very similar and want the same things in life. They want to better themselves. They want to have a good time. They want to, uh, you know, develop their career. They care about their family. They care about their friends. And they have the same worries and concerns as, as you and I. And, and that's something that really gets put into perspective when you travel like that and you meet people from all over the place. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that growing up began to really change my view of the world and how we all see each other. I, I moved to Australia right after the invasion of Iraq. In fact, Saddam Hussein was caught on my birthday 
in oh, wow. 2004, 2000, yeah, 2003. So it was, it was a funny time to be there, but I realized that because of all the stuff going on and, uh, not to get into the weeds of it, but the Australians were not happy about, um, John Howard, he was the prime minister of the time sending Australian soldiers to Iraq. Um, it was not a very fun time to be an American, especially being a kid. I have no clue what's going on. I got, I got bullied quite often because, you know, kids will repeat what their parents say. If I don't like American, I don't like George Bush. And I say that around my kid, my kid's probably going to say it. So here I am, people are blaming me for stuff. I had no clue they don't even know what they're talking about, but it was just a thing. And as I got older and I traveled more often, I, I began to see that. But when you actually get to talk to people and they actually begin to see you, they no longer see you as just this monolithic thing that they were told by the media to think of you. I, I became an actual person. And I never really understood how big of a change that would be until I went to Iceland and I pretended to be Canadian the entire two weeks I was there. People <laughs> fucking love Canadians. Yeah, well, Canadians are you now fairly nice and um, pretty fun to hang out with. So I really have never met a Canadian I didn't get along with. So it's yeah. probably a good, uh, I mean, the Puerto Rican uh, masquerading as a Canadian is pretty funny though. Hey, I mean, it, it works. No one questioned it. No one questioned it. They did question my accent, but I said, uh, <laughs> I was, I, I was from like British Columbia or something. So, you know, I had to get my boots right. But I mean, it was one of those things where I realized, you know, once people actually start to see you as an individual, you can you can really bring down a lot of those cultural barriers. And that was just the thing that really made me question a lot. Like, you know, I, I think America will always be the greatest country in the world, despite all our faults. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I have to be here, especially if I have the choice, because I don't believe we were meant to be, you know, just a single sovereign country. I think we were meant to be sovereign individuals, which means you have an yeah. obligation to do what is right for yourself. And I, I've been thinking quite often, it's like, what if I go somewhere, i you know, become immersed in the culture. I buy property. I do my job. I become part of the community. Will, will they see me as me or will they see me as an expat? It, it uh, can go either way, but yeah, they'll, they'll probably see you as an, as an expat, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's something inherently wrong with that. I might be a Canadian expat, but um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a large, very large, actually uh, expat American expat community here in Mexico specifically, not so much the town, the town I'm in, the town I'm in is more of like, um, it's, it's a place that uh, Mexicans basically have like weekend getaway houses. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, a lot of them are there are here now because they're not working at their normal jobs in the city or, or wherever else, else they might be. So they're all kind of hanging out at their vacation houses, uh, which is actually hard when you're someone like me who's like, yes, I'm, I'm similarly out of work and like on quote unquote vacation, but I'm not really on vacation. I, I have a schedule every day I get up and I work. I'm working on that podcast. I'm working on developing skills. Uh, I'm working on the book that we talked about. I'm working on all sorts of things. Um, meanwhile, a lot of the neighbors are just partying into the, into, you know, we in the morning, but uh, <laughs> I, I know I'm getting old when I'm starting to have concerns about noisy neighbors. So I, I, don't, I don't complain or anything, but sometimes I do. I could use a little more peace and quiet. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I hear it. For, for the people that you've encountered over the years that have actually moved out of the United States into Mexico or any other other country. What are some of the reasons that you've come across? Uh, for some people, it really just depends. But I mean, for everybody, it's ultimately just like a place to find new opportunities and, and to think outside the box, uh, even if you're just dipping your toe in the water. One guy that I've uh, done a couple interviews with, uh, he's also having me speak, um, I think by the time this airs, it will already have occurred at his uh, online offshore escape summit, summit uh, Mikhail Thorup. He actually left home in his teens to go backpacking uh, th through Europe and Africa. Uh, this is before he was even an adult. And that led him to just living his entire life as an expat, um, which, which he's been for 20 years now. So for some people, it just seems like it was in, in their blood from the beginning and something that, that kind of drew them out. Uh, other people, it just, you know, something that I think everybody has something in common that is an expat. Like they have a certain sense of maybe they're not all libertarians in, in the way that they might necessarily state political beliefs, but they all are libertarians in reality because they're all people that have sought, sought more freedom for themselves and have made themselves in some ways sovereign individuals uh, that aren't beholden to anyone state. I mean, a big part of the expat community is having a second passport. That's something I would really love to get, especially Mexico has a pretty good passport. It's not a bad second passport to get because um, it's really interesting. For some, a lot what, of countries, what do you have to do for that? Do you have to be a citizen or do you have to be a resident? 
Um, you, you do need to be essentially yeah, a citizen to get a second passport. Um, for me, there are things I don't want to, you know, I, you know, make any promises on the air here. There, there are things I could do in my relationship to a bank with a Mexican woman who would, that would get me a, a second passport down the road potentially. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you can also, <laughs> you can also do it by applying for residency, becoming a resident, and then uh, going through the process of once you're a resident, you establish, I think, land, like property or a bank account for a certain amount of time, then you can apply to be a citizen as well. Um, I think most of the expats here don't necessarily become citizens. But if you do, it's a really good passport to have because um, a lot of countries out there have something called reciprocity. So um, when it comes to issuing visas and that sort of thing, like when Mexico does not. So you show up to Mexico um, and you get your visa right there on the spot and they're like, oh, come on in. And your only restriction is you, have to, you can only stay for six months, but you could stay here for six months, leave for two days and come back and start your six months again. So it's basically, there's essentially no visa for, for all intents and purposes. Um, but there's other countries that like the United States that makes it very difficult for you to get a visa or that charges you a lot of money to get a visa. And so there's a lot of countries around the world that have reciprocity where if, if your country doesn't charge a visa, they won't charge you anything. But if you do, like the United States does, they will. So for example, if you want to go to Argentina, I traveled there maybe seven or eight years ago. I had to pay like, I don't know, $200 around for to get a visa there. And that was just their reciprocity tax. That's because I think the United States charges something similar to their citizens. Whereas if I had the Mexican passport, because Mexico doesn't charge anybody a damn thing to come in, or maybe there's a small fee, I think it might be incorporated into the airline ticket if you fly in, but it's very small, if, if not non-existent, um, then they, they don't get charged for coming to other countries. So if you have a Mexican passport and a US passport, you can kind of pick and choose. The US passport makes it easier to travel in certain places. Other places, you can you know, save money, but if you whip out the Mexican passport. So having more passports uh, is only a good thing. Although you can't, supposedly, I, I did not know this before, but you can only have two passports like total. So you can be a dual citizen of two countries, but I, you do not, do not believe from my understanding that you can have a third passport. Um, so I guess pick your second passport wisely, but it's, it can never hurt you to have a second passport. It just gives you another option, especially because the United States government has basically stated that they can remove your passport essentially for any reason. They said, if, if they suspect you of owing $50,000 or more in taxes, they can remove your passport. But the key word is suspect. Suspect can mean anything. I mean, you know, if you have a small business and you have a bunch of expenses and, uh, you know, you haven't even done that part of your taxes yet, they could suspect that you owe $50,000 that you, you might owe zero, but they could suspect it because you haven't, you know, processed your deductions and all that stuff. So it's very frightening the power the United States government has, or really any government has, that, that can take your passport ultimately for any reason. So just having diversity in that area can give you a little more flexibility in life, flexibility of where you go, where you live, and keep you from being permanently trapped. Because, you know, if the United States, let's say they, the U.S. government decided to take my passport for whatever reason, uh, if I had a Mexican passport, they couldn't, they would not be able to trap me in the country if I had another country's passport, because that would be violating international law, not, unless I had committed some actual crime or something they were holding me for. But yeah. they can't just trap you in the country. You know, they can take your passport, but they can't refuse you to leave if another country will, will take you on that passport. So it just gives you a little more, uh, some more options in life. Yeah. And I mean, that's one thing that a lot of people, I, I've always got like one or two boomer conservatives who I love. I love you. But you know, it's always as well, you don't have to worry about that unless you're criminal type bullshit. And it's like, look, look at, look at Cuba Gooding Jr. Like we forget that the reason why that guy wasn't in a ton of movies for a while was because he was in jail for tax evasion. Now, how did they capture him? They captured Cuba him. Gooding Jr. was? I didn't even know that. I'm pretty, yeah. He was arrested for that. Yeah, he did a few years in jail. Uh, that's the same reason. Well, who, who, uh, Wesley Snipes got arrested for the same thing, except he, his situation. He again, was public I'll, about it. Yeah, he was public about it, but it was his, it, it was his manager and it was his uh, tax guy that were screwing him over. So he basically got arrested for something that he had no knowledge about. That that's why Wesley Snipes was completely screwed. But like you know that that has the ability to capture you. And what happened both of them, they tried to fly out of the country. I think both of them tried to go to Canada and they were caught that way. Um, I know, you know, for their back in like 2012, when the French were doing like their massive income tax expansion, you had, um, I, I forget the French actor's name, but he essentially, um, got a second, he got dual citizenship in Russia because he was like, they've only got like a 15% flat tax and he moved to Russia. Then when he got there, he was like, I'm going to stay here forever. He got rid of his French citizenship. Now, am I telling people that Russia is better? You should move to Russia. I'm not saying that, but having that leverage, you know, it, it helps. And not even talking about taxes, the, um, the, 
if you can't buy, don't fly lists for people that were, mm-hmm. that were uh, you know, you're not allowed to purchase firearm, therefore you're not allowed to fly. I mean, that's been used for politically motivated cases. Uh, MLK was on that list. John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis was on that list as he was trying to push that bill. He didn't realize it, but he was on that list. I mean, they, if they can find any reason to stop you from traveling, and we're seeing that right now, it can only get worse. And, you know, in the case of the COVID crisis, I think somewhat of it was necessary, but what you're seeing from a lot of governors and stuff saying you're not allowed to go to certain States or even you're not allowed to go to certain towns. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. My girlfriend and I went on a road trip to Culpeper, Virginia, Culpeper, Virginia did not get a lot of mainstream media attention because Culpeper, which is a very libertarian town, it was, you know, it's the home of the Culpeper Minutemen from the revolution, and the civil war. They basically said, yeah, we're not going to enforce any state rulings from the governor or from the state legislature in, in regards to COVID-19. We're just going to go ahead and make up our own minds and we'll deal with the repercussions. And we went there and they were open. We could go eat. People were social distancing. People were voluntarily deciding the limitations of what they do with their business. And, you know, earlier in the month, they were saying, we're going to go ahead and charge people with a civil fine if we see you going into Culpeper. It didn't happen, but they were willing to do that if they could find a way to legally enforce it. It's crazy. It, it's insane. Um, with, with the time that we have left, you know, I also want to touch on something you brought up. It's, you know, during this time you have, you're trying to make yourself more marketable. You're learning new skills. You're working on side projects. This is the one thing that I think a lot of people, uh, regardless of your position, we all have more time now. And if you haven't taken this time to be better in some way when you come out of it versus how you went into the situation, you're really losing an opportunity to, you know, really prosper in the future. Uh, What made you kind of think about that? And what are some of the things you've done? So that way, when you're out of the situation, when you're hopefully working and getting your full earned income coming back, you're going to, you know, you're going to amplify your ability to market yourself and really become more independent than you were prior. Exactly. I mean, my main goal is to really do all the things I already wanted to do, but always said, well, I don't have time. I worked, I worked a long day today, so I'm tired and I don't feel like doing it. Oh, I spent all this time in the car. I don't feel like doing it. I'm just going to go out and have some sake and sushi with my friends. Uh, so the, t- taking that off the table has been uh, helpful to me in some ways. Uh, you know, it gets given me so much more time and money. I mean, even when I was in Los Angeles, like you were saying earlier, uh, just the fact that I wasn't going out anymore, and it's not like I, I excessively eat out. I, I mostly cook for myself at home, but... Uh, you begin to see that add up. Yeah, you realize even just a couple of nights a week, maybe one night meeting someone for drinks and another night going out to dinner uh, across the month, like that adds up. That really adds up. And I was really, I was noticing just how much money I was saving just even in the United States on lockdown, let alone now that I'm in Mexico on sort of lockdown. Uh, so I'm saving a ton of money just by being here. Um, what was the original question? Because I started ranting about something else. Um, what, what are some of the things that you're doing to make yourself more marketable, oh, right, 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 learn new right. skills, that type of thing? Yeah, well, I'm brushing up on some skills uh, that I used to have, uh, like some video editing programs that I haven't used in a long time. So I'm kind of getting myself brushed up on that stuff so I can A, do more of that stuff for myself and then also offer that more as a service professionally. Uh, but the one thing I'm, I'm big thing I'm working on, and I, I've talked to you about that, is a, a book that I'm trying to turn into. I'm, actually, the presentation I gave at the Offshore Escape is what gave me uh, sort of an outline for a book already. It's basically breaking down uh, all that I've learned from interviewing hundreds of people over the years. So it's a pretty uh, you know easy book to do an outline of because really, I'm just telling my own story while interweaving in the stories of uh, other people that I've interviewed over the years. And I'm just, I'm just pulling quotes and stuff that they've given me already from, you know, from interviews. So I, I already, the book's research. It's already research. It's, it's what's one good thing about having a podcast. You can repurpose that material in so many ways. I mean, I, I thought about it at one point, just literally just transcribing interviews, kind of Tom Wood style and just putting them in a, in a book. But, you know, I don't know. It just didn't feel like my kind of style. Like I wanted to actually just turn it into like my interpretation and my storytelling of, of those interviews and, and making those connections and that sort of thing. I thought that would have just a, a more personal take on it and be a lot more interesting than just transcribing interviews that you could go listen to anyway. Uh, so that's one thing I'm working on. Uh, I'm also decided to start offering um, podcast services. Like, like I am not necessarily, I mean, I will offer the services to people that want them in terms of editing or helping you, um, you know, decide the direction of your podcast, that sort of thing. But the thing I'm, I'm really focusing on, trying to hone in on one specific niche that 
as far as I can tell, doesn't really exist. And that is coaching people into becoming good interviewers and good podcast hosts. Because all the podcast services out there, they, they offer a lot of stuff. They offer a lot of information, uh, what kind of equipment to buy, you know, how to best be set yourself up for a good recording, um, how to uh, edit, whatever. But they don't really tell you how to host or how to be an interviewer. And that's stuff that I had to learn on my own. I was not in any way a natural at this. Uh, I was very uncomfortable on the microphone in the beginning. And I had to sort of teach myself how to have uh, interviews where you're informed and you're getting to a lot of the points, but also that come across as natural and free flowing. So that's uh, something that I realized, like, and that's a skill I developed. And there are certain things that I do to kind of keep that skill and hone that skill. And that's information that I can help people with and that I can help people sort of build up the confidence uh, before they go live with a podcast, you know, but build up that skill before that I had to do basically live on air. I, I learned how to become uh, not live, but, you know, pre-recorded on air. Uh, and everybody can go back to episode one of Lions of Liberty from 2013 and, and hear the progression over the years, hopefully into being a decent host. So I'm trying to offer those, uh, that more niche service out there, because I think I could compete with all the big podcast services out there that offer services that, that all the big podcast courses, but that would be a really uphill battle to try to compete with those people. So I'm trying to offer something a little different, something a little more focused and something that I know a lot of people struggle with when they're first starting a podcast. Cause they, you know, it's not, it's not a natural thing to sit in front of a microphone and just talk to somebody. Um, at least not for me, it wasn't. So I know if it's not for me, it's, it's not for a lot of other people out there that also have an idea or something something they're passionate about that they want to start a podcast to promote or to explore further. Yeah, absolutely. And I I really want to hit on three things that you mentioned, because I think that this is really something I want folks to bring home. Uh, You know, three things that I was able to pick up from that. One, you're establishing different streams of income, offering freelance services through different uh, aspects of your podcasting experience and knowledge. You're working on that book. So right there, I mean, you've got like three or four different streams of income that can always come in. Secondly, these are soft skills. It's not like you tried to pick up a trade like welding or plumbing, which I think, you know, yeah, people, I'm too old for that yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're think we have a lot of college grads that, are, that listen to the show, if you don't want to go to school, I think you should pick up a trade, either a hard trade or a soft skill. But right now during things like the pandemic, soft skills, skills are what allow you to work from the safety and comfort of your home. Right. So there's that. But you know, third, what we've hit on throughout this episode, you can do that anywhere. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be in LA. You don't need to be in an office. You could do this from Mexico. In fact, if you can do it from somewhere else, you're going, your the money, the money you take in is just so much more amplified. Uh, you know, if I make American dollars here, like if I made, let's just toss a, a random number out, let's say $50 an hour here. And even if I only worked 20 hours a week, just to make a number up, uh, that, that money eh, might not get me that far in LA. It probably wouldn't even be enough, enough to live on, to be honest. Um, if I, you know, maybe if I worked 40 hours a week at that rate, okay, now I'd be okay. But I'm just, I'm not trying to presume you get a full, you know, 40 hour work week out of freelance work, especially right away. I'm a math impaired uh, American. So I'll just go along with everything you say. <laughs> right. Essentially the point being, if I made that money in Mexico, I'm set. Not only am I, I am I doing well, I'm doing better than most people around me. Uh, I can afford a, a, a house with a pool. Uh, I can afford to well, if, if eating out becomes a thing, I can afford to eat out a lot more, and it wouldn't even you know punch into my wallet that much. Uh, your dollar goes so much further in a lot of other places around the world, and it's not true everywhere. It's not necessarily true in say Europe or Australia, but it's true here, and it's true in a lot of places. So, uh, and that really that that adds up really quick, especially when you start shopping and you start looking at your, your credit card statement or your bills. And you're like, wow, this is going up a lot slower than I did when I lived in Los Angeles and I was shopping and just buying regular things that you need for day to day. I mean, it, it really adds up a lot. You realize how much you shop to live and you realize when you're, when you're spending not maybe like 30 to 40% of that cost, plus your dollars going further now because 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 the, the, the peso has been falling for the dollar in this case. Um, yeah, you really, I mean, the, the, the amount I'm saving just in day-to-day living is just tremendous. So um, if, I, if it did come to a point where my normal job didn't come back or my normal work didn't come back, I could at a very minimum try to, you know, live somewhere like this part-time, uh, at, at, you know, at the, at the least, if not, you know, full-time eventually. At least having the freedom to move, right? Like at you don't have to options. move somewhere and stay there. You can have the option. That's something a lot of people don't have. I, I would rather stay right here and have the option knowing that if I needed to go anywhere, I could go there and I'm bringing all my money with me. I can still work on the road or wherever I want. And once I get bored of somewhere, if I want to go somewhere else, I could do it. 
Right. I mean, this is something that a, a lot of people think of, but they never take that extra steps to really consider, am I able to do it? Because just knowing that you have the choice offers an incredible amount of freedom that you don't really understand until shit really starts to hit the fan. Right. And I, I've been telling folks, like, you know, you could vote, you could lobby, you could do all this other shit, but there's nothing more powerful than leveraging your own financial independence in a way. And you don't have to be, you know, carrying around millions or billions of dollars. You just have to have skills that you could do from anywhere and income that if you lose one or the other, you still got some money coming in so you can continue to make those choices. If we limit our choices, we're limiting our own capacity to be free individuals. Exactly. It's not, it's not necessarily about you should go have a lifestyle change now or you should go move to another country. It's more about just you should give yourselves the options. And then that way, when something like this does happen again, maybe you're less freaked out. You know, Maybe you're, you're less freaking out. You can say, well, good. I already had this stuff in place. I already had these other skills. I already have this other passport. Um, it gives you more options. No one has ever been harmed by having too many options. And I'm not necessarily going to like completely give up my current life. I might go almost all the way back to it. If my job comes all the way back, I might not. I don't know. But I'll have an option, or at least I'll have more of an option than I did uh, before I came out of this thing. And I think that's something that everybody should look at. If you find yourself with more time, just try to do some things that give yourself yourself more options in life. Try to get yourself healthier. Uh, I've been doing yoga. I've been doing like meditation stuff I hardly did before and stuff that is just, I can tell how much it's improving my day-to-day happiness and, and my ability to be productive. So there's always ways you can improve yourself. And when the world has gifted you, I guess you might say, uh, this time, whether you want it or not, you may as well use it for good and to improve yourself because the world's not going to improve yourself for you. The world's not going to adapt itself to you. You have to adapt yourself to it. So no, again, again, no one has ever been hurt by having more options. So whether it's acquiring a new skill or acquiring a new passport or learning a new language, every one of those things and a million other things you could do for yourself is going to, only going to give you more options in life. And um, again, more options is always, always a good thing. I could not have said it better myself. Mark, thank you so much for joining the show today. If people want to go ahead and find everything you do, listen to Lions of Liberty, or even hit you hit you up because maybe they're thinking about starting a show or they just need help getting off the ground, you're an excellent resource to, t- to take that knowledge from. How can they get in contact with you? Sure. Well, yeah, you can always uh, hit me up on Twitter at Mark D. Clare. That's Mark with a C, the letter D, C-L-A-I-R, Mark D. Clare. Facebook, wherever. You can also drop me an email, mark.claire at gmail.com or at mark, M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com. Uh, and also, if you are someone who's looking to reach out to me, well, you, can, you may as well just contact me directly because I can save on fees, but I have a, I have a profile over at uh, clarify. I'm sorry, clarity.fm. I shouldn't get that wrong. Uh, but yeah, I have a profile over there for uh, offering advice on, on podcasting and that sort of thing. But I suppose if you're listening to this and are interested, we may as well uh, avoid some fees and hope that nobody from that company is listening right now and <laughs> have you contact me directly. <laughs> Absolutely. And and folks, you know, we don't talk much about politics anymore on this show, but Lions of Liberty is what really helped me learn more about the the ideas of freedom, how people are actually taking more proactive measures in their life. I cannot recommend it enough. They're on iTunes. You can go ahead and follow everything they do at linesofliberty.com. Find them on Facebook as well. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. You know, enjoy your time. And, uh, you know, if things start getting real hairy and you're like, oh, I think I'm going to move elsewhere. Let me know. We'll do an episode on that. This is, right. this is the stuff I want to talk Every about. Every time I move, I'll do an interview with Ramsey. <laughs> you can go to like a real dictatorial country. Then you can go to like a country that's like barely a country. And then you can go like the middle of the ocean. It'll be a whole thing. I could write a whole book about living in a different, pla- a different place every year. There you the go. The possibilities are endless. Absolutely. All right, Mark. Take care. Thanks, Ramsey. shows and more from the We Are Libertarians network at wearelibertarians.com.